Well, welcome back to Blurry Creatures. Luke, you're, we got Tim. You're Nate. You are Nate. I Nate, am Nate. No, I'm Luke. Yeah, we're back, dude. We're Here back. We we're back. We got uh, Tim Alberino on the show again today. Like, let me just be a little honest. It's just been... Just, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday. Like, it's just been a hell of a season for both of us, right? Yeah, it has. It's been a, um, it's been a season. Walking through some stuff, man. Just want to... I mean, honestly... You know, we're not going to we don't really get into specifics, but uh, we just want to thank our, you know, our members for one for sticking with us and people out there that you know have really invested in this in this project. You guys have stuck last. Thank you for your messages and your encouragement. I mean, it's been given, you know, given us some of that juice to, uh, yeah, it just you know, it's a little, it's a weird little, been a weird little funk for the show. I think we're back, we're back doing this. Uh, amazing, amazing show lined up here with incomparable Tim Alberino. Yeah. But yeah, Nate, I mean, uh, I know that you, know, you put a little thing out for the, for the members today. So yeah. Know that we're you know, kind of giving people a heads up. So. Yeah, like normally we're 100 miles an hour of memes and fun stuff and posting and people who've invested in us and have listened to us are just kind of like, hey, what's going on? You know, uh, everything all right? And it's just been a hell of a season for Luke and I. And I... And I, I and I don't know if we knew that would happen. I don't know if that's just because that's just life or like what we're doing with this podcast. We're getting darts thrown at us and in some cases, nuclear missiles launched at us. Sure. But yeah, yeah for me, it's just being such an emotional creature that I am, it's really hard to stuff all that down and, and just put the ears on and try to interview people. But it, yeah, there's just there's been some wild stuff happen uh, in both of our lives just really painful things and uh, I don't know we've been honest on this podcast with everyone listening and I just think that it's worth saying something I don't know it's you can hide behind the anonymy oh yeah we're just busy and we got life but this has been some some big stuff yeah some brutal big stuff so those who want to support the podcast thanks for supporting us you can become a member of the show um, just encourage us to keep going and and support what we're doing. I've been praying a lot lately, Luke, more than I ever have in my life, and realize that it's it's one thing to think about spiritual warfare and know know the concepts, and it's another thing to like feel like yeah, this is happening directly to me. So so anyway, that's a long, <laughs> vague intro, but you know we're real. We're real. We're two real guys. We don't have anything but you guys listening and the people that support the show. There's no one emailing us and deciding hey what are you going to talk about how honest are you going to be there's no board of directors there's no congregation other than people downloading the show so uh, yeah. i feel like we're i feel like we're vulnerable right luke and i feel like that's what makes it worth tuning in it's because we are real. vulnerable just being real trying to push back the darkness man so with that we're going to bring on tim alberino Tim, great to have you back. I mean, this is we were Nate and I were talking right before you got on. I think this is our fifth time, and it just keep we going back to the well. And I know last time we talked, you had said you had you had a different take on Genesis six, and and you, you and we were excited to to have you back to expound upon that. That's been one of the core 
sort of places that this podcast lives for a lot of reasons. You know, being a Creatures podcast, Nate, a lot of the Creatures stuff kind of comes, at least when we look back in history, comes out of some maybe what would be the seminal moment at Mount Hermon and everything that happened after that. And and we're excited, Tim, great to have you back and uh, excited to kind of un- unpack Genesis 6 and, and that whole thing with you here. Yeah, you know, uh, Genesis 6 is so foundational to so many people in your audience, in my audience, and in, in, in our own worldview. And yet, I think I in my book, I say it's 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 nearly as Genesis 6 1 is is nearly as well known as John 3 16 at this point. Um, because of because of the popularity of of uh, the Nephilim content online. In fact, some years ago, I believe maybe three or four years ago, maybe four years ago, the word Nephilim was one of the highest ranking search terms. I don't know if you guys knew that on Google. Really? Wow. Yeah. And so it was really, there was a lot of people very interested in the topic. And, uh, and so there's a whole lot of people out there who have a very broad, they have a very broad, but shallow understanding of the Genesis 6 topic. Why do you think there are so many searches? Because there's a lot of Christians who are perhaps, were perhaps bored with their faith. And the topic, the Nephilim topic, injected a mysterious, intriguing element into Christianity, into their Christian worldview that they had not considered. It was like taking a mundane worldview and injecting this fantasy element into it that just so happens to be true. And it gave people a refreshing, it allowed people to revisit the biblical narrative with this refreshing new viewpoint. And I think that that, that, that was fascinating. It was adventurous. It was wondrous for a lot of people. And then when, when you get inaugurated into the Genesis 6 reality, at some point in time, it kind of wears off. That fascination maybe wears off a little bit, and then people go from that into other topics. And that's how people find their way into other similar topics, um, whether it be topics related to aliens, whether it be topics related to the shape of the earth, um, and other things. And, and people are kind of always chasing that perpetual high that they, that, that, that they got when they were first inducted into the mystery of the Nephilim, let's say. Uh, I find that to be the case with many people with whom I have spoken. Now, I will say that that has not been my case. Yeah, and you kind of talked about that on a previous show. Like, you kind of made that statement of like people get obsessed with the Nephilim, and they and and you and you and you you kind of rebuttal with like the story of Christ is so much more compelling. Yes, yes, and so the reason why so many Christians have become, let's say, disenfranchised with their faith is because they never truly understood the gospel. And and I can say that that I can say from a personal experience. And that happened to me early on. And so it's easy to get to a point as a Christian, a church-going Christian especially, where you feel you feel like you've kind of got everything figured out. You know the parameters of the biblical narrative. You know the parameters of your faith. 
and Christianity becomes a lifestyle and it, it, it almost becomes a social behavior and, and to some degree a social club if you're a member of a church. And that dries a lot of people's enthusiasm out. It's, it's very easy to burn out when that is your Christian life. When those, when those things are the elements that comprise your Christian life. Again, going to church, attending meetings, um, you know, being versed in the same stories over and over again, reading through the same, um, reading through the same scriptures uh, in Bible studies and never really getting a new angle on things. And, and, and I would say that if that's the case, I'm not going to say that you're not a Christian. Certainly not. I would never say that. But I, I would say that the gospel hasn't yet penetrated your heart as deeply as it as it can and, and probably should. Yeah. Because when the gospel penetrates your heart and you realize for the first time exactly what the gospel is about, it becomes a lifelong fascination. It's impossible not to be a lifelong fascination because it is the most epic story ever told. And and it 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 deepens your faith in a way that is it you don't burn out you don't you don't burn out on the gospel you can burn out on get and when i say burn burn out what i mean is you can get bored with topics you can get bored with any topic but if the gospel has truly penetrated your heart you you never will you will never get bored with the gospel of christ you can kind of you can kind of equate it to like getting into like ancient aliens, right? It's kind of like a TV show, right? I'm really into Lost or I'm really into this show. And then the moment it's kind of like it all, it's just like, okay, that wasn't, you know, onto the next one. I mean, do, right? do you guys think, do you, Tim, do you think it's because we just watered it down and dumbed it down so much that it's like, if you just say these little magic words and Jesus lives in your heart and Jesus died for your sins and that's, that's it. And you're, and the idea that that's like, that covers the, like the depth of the mystery and, and, and the miraculous, it, it seems like that that's the kind of service it gets though, as opposed to maybe you know, unpacking. I don't know. It, it just seems like you make it too yeah. simple. It's like too simple. It's not a living story to people, to a lot of people. It's, it's uh, the gospel is in some ways a social gospel for a lot of Christians. And I was talking with Mankow last night, a little bit about this, that the gospel has become a social gospel. It's, it's the gospel is about, uh, improving your life, uh, your in, or the way that you treat your neighbors, or your community, or your church, but that's not what the gospel is. It doesn't really have to do with any of those things. The gospel is about the restoration of mankind to the family of God, and that is absolutely stunning. It's restoring us back to what we were created to be, back to Adam, our progenitor. And it's almost like, this is why we have, and I've, I'm sure I've mentioned this on your show before, this is why we have such a fascination with superheroes. Because we, we're, we're less than what we should be. Yeah. And we're, we're all pining, we're all in, unconsciously pining for Eden again. And there's, there's nothing more exhilarating than the thought that in Christ, we're going to be restored to what we were supposed to be in the beginning. And what drives people is a sense of purpose. And people burn out because they lose that sense of purpose. And what is the purpose of mankind? Well, it's twofold. First of all, it's fellowship in the divine family. It's fellowship with the Father, first and foremost. But that also means fellowship in the family. 
fellowship with the Father and with our elder siblings and with one another and with our elder siblings. And, and then secondarily, our purpose is, is one of regency, governance of the earth. And so when we are restored to that purpose in our mind, first of all, we comprehend that that, that that is what our purpose is. And then we understand that Christ restores us to what was lost in Adam. Then we, we're part of the story now. It's living and it's powerful. And it's, and, and it's, it's not about, I used to do drugs and, you know, and then somebody preached the gospel to me and now I don't do drugs anymore. See, that's what so many people think that, that Christianity is. I used to be, a prostitute, and now I'm not a prostitute. Now I'm, you know, singing in the choir in the church, or I used to be a, a foul mouth, you know, gangbanger, and I got saved. We think that that's what the gospel is. That's not what the gospel is. It's like AA for sinners, right? That's what's that's what it's, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because if that's what the gospel is, then you can get those same kinds of transformations in Buddhism or Hinduism or in Islam. You're going to find the same kind of testimonies. I mean, it, it's. It, that's not what the gospel is. Mike Heiser was saying about that, that like, you know, it's not that he's, he was kind of saying how you can get all these healing and other things from these other religions. And, and, and he's skeptical because he's like, you know, people actually experience spiritual transformation in other religions. And I think a lot of Christians are just unaware of that. Um, and how does, is this, is, is this whole story of the gospel play into your unique interpretation of Genesis 6? Yeah, so so it does, actually, because in order to understand Genesis 6, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. And we have to understand why man was created and who are the players in the game. Because we're not, this isn't solo. We're not solo here in the universe. It's not, there's a cosmology that I grew up with that I had to unlearn. And it took me a long time to unlearn it because it was very deep-seated. And in this I would call it a medieval Christian, a Catholic, a medieval Catholic cosmology, even though I wasn't Catholic. Much of our, much of our, much of the Protestant traditions and, and understandings and, and perceptions come from medieval Catholicism. And they're not, they're certainly not from the ancient Hebrew cosmology. And so I had this, this perspective that there's God and there's angels and there's us. And that's it. That's the universe, and it's and it's just it's just about the Earth, and it was a very small universe, and there was only a few players in the game, and angels were just these ambiguous spiritual beings who were created to minister to us. So, in other words, we're the center of attention. We are the we are the where the reason everything happened, where the reason the earth was created, the reason why the universe was created, everything revolves around us. And, you know, these other things are just interesting ancillary things, like, again, as angels and, you know, maybe there's some other freaky creatures out there, like a cherubim of four faces or something like that. And that was always, you know, a little fascinating. But um, but my, my cosmology was very limited and it was very narrow. And I was very frustrated with it, to be honest with you. And, you know, I grew up in, and I'll get to the Genesis 6 narrative in a second. And I grew up, you know, in Sunday school. Most people probably know that I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in Sunday school, and, and Sunday school com was comprised of playing games and memorizing Bible scriptures and col coloring books. And I can always remember in my head, 
you know, coloring these pictures of like Noah, the big goofy smile and sandals and like giving a thumbs up or something. And with the, some animals getting on a cartoonish looking animals, getting on a boat and, and, it, and it just completely whitewashed reality. But, and it, but and how it, do you it, talk to a kid about these things? How do you like, I mean, how, well, they, well the kids don't, don't, don't kids watch. Did, did, I don't know if your kids do. My kids watch the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. My kids watch the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. I mean, that's really a much more accurate conceptualization, reality. Actually, especially as it pertains to Lord of the Rings, and there's many reasons for that. But my kids can conceptualize those stories. Sure. So certainly they can conceptualize the, the true narrative of the pre-flood world without really without a problem. In fact, they can probably conceptualize it better than a lot of adults. Do you feel like a lot of people in general are just like dumbed down on the population? Because, I mean, you're kind of a hard hardcore guy. You... You have that intensity. You have that passion for life. I mean, how do you talk to somebody? This is, this is a question I've been wanting to ask you. I mean, because like, I mean, you don't screw around. You get right to the point of things, and a lot of people just can't handle that. And it, I do screw around a lot, just not on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, you go to a dinner party and you're in the corner. I mean, are you are you just talking shop, or are you actually like laying it on people? I don't engage anyone who doesn't first engage me. Okay. If somebody comes to me with questions or we go down this path or people start talking to me about theological things, inevitably we'll end up talking about aliens or something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and, you know, but I don't like, uh, I don't preach Genesis six. Okay. I don't preach. Uh, I don't preach any of these other elements of the biblical narrative. I preach Christ and the gospel of Christ when I'm preaching, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm sharing the gospel to people. And I don't, by the way, I do not use my testimony because my testimony is irrelevant, honestly. And this is antithetical to what I was taught growing up. In fact, my father, who was a great man, a great um, pastor, but it's antithetical to what I was taught. Like the way that you preach the gospel is your testimony. No, it's not. The gospel is the redemption of Adam. It, it pertains to all of us. It is automatically relevant to every human being, regardless of who you are, because we all share the same condition. It's called sin and death. We are all currently dying. Mm. And therefore, we all have the same problem. And the solution is the same across the board. It doesn't matter what your background is. And our testimony is that we are the offspring of Adam, and we are divorced, sundered from the family of God. We are at enmity with the Father. And it is the cross of Christ that brings peace and reconciliation. And that pertains to all the do- uh, sons and daughters of Adam. It kind of sounds like, you know, we, we've turned everything into this, uh, this emotional experience. Like, I went to, I went out here and then this emotional thing happened and cue the music. And it's like, I mean, it, it, is, it is an emotional story, but you're kind of manipulated into this relationship with God sometimes. And you're not really, you don't really have the facts of like, Here's the story. Here's the condition. This is what happened. It's just cue the music, make a make an emotional decision, but you're actually really confused about what you're doing, right? Yes. And that's not the New Testament. If you read the New Testament, the, the apostles are teaching you about the gospel of Christ. And what they want is for you to understand. They want you to comprehend the gospel of Christ. Yeah. Whether you feel anything or not is irrelevant. It's inconsequential. 
and so I came up in the, and I'm going to get to Genesis six, believe me in just a minute. <laughs> I came up in the charismatic church and I'm not knocking charismatics, but it was so much about feeling. And it was so much about, uh, you know, maintaining this spiritual high. And if you, if you didn't have this, the, the goosebumps, you didn't feel something, then, then you were always chasing that high, like a drug addict. And you felt like you, this, you weren't close to God or something, yeah. but, but that, that's not, that really doesn't have anything to do with your walk with God. It doesn't, we understand, we comprehend in our minds. So you hear the gospel that the, that the gospel comes by here, faith comes by hearing. And when you hear the gospel preached, as soon as you hear the words of the gospel, the first thing that happens is your mind begins to comprehend the words that are being said. And when your mind begins to truly comprehend the things that are being said, then that truth penetrates your heart. And people who have not comprehended the gospel oftentimes end up walking away from the faith as soon as the high wears off or when they get bored or when they become disenfranchised. L let me bring this back to Genesis 6 so we don't, so I don't, you know, get us pull us off track of the topic here, which I have a tendency to do. <laughs> so understanding the context in which mankind was created and why mankind was created gives us insights into Genesis 6 that I think are needed, are needed. Because as I said, the, the Genesis 6 narrative is broadly consumed, but poorly digested. And, and I want us to have a better, and when I say us, I'm not necessarily talking about you guys, just us in general. I want us to have a better... Let's use that metaphor. Like the, the gospel is the steak and the Nephilim topic is like the onions that was grilled in, right? Like, and a lot of people have flipped that. They've made that the main course and they've kind of sprinkled the gospel around the dinner plate of the, of, of the story, right? Like they... Yes, that's true. But when you really cannot comprehend the Genesis six narrative with the Genesis six narrative without understanding the the main thrust of the gospel, yeah. so part of the story is first of all, as we talked about, I think in a previous episode, the the the, the biblical perspective is what's called a Christocentric perspective. Christ is the center of all things; it's His story, and it, it's not. We're not the center. The story does not revolve around us. We're not the primary characters. We're not the primary protagonists in this story. We are ancillary characters. Christ is the primary character. It's about him. It was created for him and through him and by him. And, and all things that consist in him. So it's him. He's at the center. So we're ancillary characters. So creation didn't come into existence with us. The, we were not created with, we were not born we were not created with the universe. We were born into it in, in the procession of time. And so uh, the Bible depicts, it illustrates a scenario in which mankind arrives on the scene after other things have transpired. And we know that this is the case because the, the sons of God shouted for joy when the earth was created. And the earth was not created simultaneously with mankind. It was created before man because, again, it wasn't created for us. It doesn't need to come into existence with us. So the creation of mankind, we come into existence in the aftermath of rebellion, war, and ruin. The universe has already experienced untold eons of history before we show up on the scene. And in fact, we are created partly as a consequence of the things that happened before we came into existence. So you don't think that that war happened right before we got here? It was long before we got here? I think it was long before we, we showed up on the scene. 
And I think when we showed up on the scene, it was it was directly after the earth was renewed. It was in a state of ruin, utter ruin. And, and it was desolate and empty. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And I believe that this planet engulfed in water, it is a, it is a depiction of, it is a planet post-judgment. And it's not just planet Earth that has been subject subjected to judgment. It is a, it was a cataclysmic uh, event that rocked every planet in the solar system and laid waste to everything in the solar system. Uh, and so the Earth and and people who are curious about this, I, I go through all of this in my book in, in great detail. So um, and I won't do it here because our, our, I'm getting to Genesis six. That's what the topic <laughs> is, and that's what I'm aiming for here. But I got to set the stage. And so, so you find the earth, this, this wasteland engulfed in water, and there's nothing alive on it. However, I believe, as do some of my colleagues, that, that the fallen sons of God, the apostate sons of God, whom the Bible designates as Satan or the devil and his angels, I believe at this point are imprisoned within the earth. And there's reasons, and I won't go through them here. We can that can be a whole different discussion. But let's just, for the sake of argument, let's assume that the the devil and his angels are imprisoned in the, in the earth, in the inner earth, and the earth is covered in water. It's a prison in the wake of rebellion of, of war, rebellion of rebellion, war, and ruin, a galactic insurrection against the kingdom of heaven. They were defeated. It after and they were defeated in a war, and this war is graphically depicted in the scriptures, by the way. So I'm going to try not to get go any further into that. Let's move forward. And so the earth is renewed. So the sequential renewal of the earth, that seven-day sequence that we find at the beginning of Genesis, I believe is a, is a sequential renewing of the earth, restoring the terrestrial realm so that it can be re-inhabited. And when the waters subside and the dry land appears and so forth, I believe that at that point, the, 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 the dragon and his insurrectionary forces that were defeated are released from their incarceration and are now inhabiting the earth. And the time has come now to appoint a regent to govern the earth. And the regents are chosen from among the sons of God. And I go through that in the book, and I won't explain why here, but the sons of God are part of the family. And we were created to be a part of that family. Adam was created as a son of God. Not all of the entities in the universe are sons of God. Not everybody is a part of the family, but we are. Adam was created to be a son of God with his older siblings who pre-exist him, uh, who pre-exist us. Those are, the, those are the entities I designate as the elder race. So um, who the Bible call, ambiguously designates as angels. I don't know if people are following me, but again, anybody who's curious about any of this in more depth, yeah. uh, th this is this is in the book. So, so the time has come. The earth is the earth is renewed. It's ready for life is now flourishing again on the earth, and now the time has come for the king and his council, and the king is the son of God. The king and his council to appoint a regent. To govern the earth. Now, a regent, and this is important, a regent is an official who governs on behalf of a king. So a regent, a regent governs, and sometimes it's a it's called a vice regent or a regent or a governor, um, different names. A regent is the most 
appropriate in this scenario, a regent governs on behalf of the king. And so um, in an empire, let's say in an empire, and the kingdom of heaven is much more like an empire than just a simple kingdom because it is, there are many realms, okay? There's a diversity of realms. And again, I go through that in the book. That's a whole other conversation in and of itself. There are many realms. By the way, a, prince, a, a principality is not an entity. It is a realm governed by a prince. So when the Bible says principalities, it's talking about realms. Remember, Jesus has many crowns. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the king and lord of all realms. So that makes him an emperor. People, for some reason, get upset when I use that term. That's too bad. It's just the, it's the correct term. It's the appropriate term. That's what an emperor is. So if you have a single kingdom and a king, that, that's just a single kingdom. But if you have a king that is the king over several kingdoms, that are under his, that are subjugated to him, that makes that king an emperor. And so the kingdom of heaven is much, much more of an empire and the king much more of an emperor. And the reason why this is important is because the emperor appoints delegates to govern in the various realms. And that's what the Roman Empire did, for example. They appointed governors and prefects to govern in, their various, in the various realms, the various kingdoms under their dominion. So the king appoints princes, let's call them. Princes or regents. Regents is a better name. I think princes are a more exalted estate. Regents is a better description. So that's what a region is. A regent governs on behalf of the king. Tim, Tim, I got a good question here just because on semantics. Um, when we talk about realms, we're talking about People talk about the spiritual realm, right? As, as in the same way they talk about a dimension. When you say God is a, is the king of many realms, are we talking about many dimensions? Are we talking about many many areas within the same the same? Let's not let's not complicate the conversation by talking about dimensions because we can't conceptualize another dimension. We don't know what that looks. Sure, like. I just I wanted to clarify. We do I want to clarify that, and I'm not yeah. saying that that's not the okay. case. I'm just saying for the sake of simplicity. Let's contemplate instead, and people are going to get, I know people get upset by this, but it's, but it doesn't, it's, it's, it's much simpler to think of it. Let's just think in terms of planets for the time okay. being, because it's much easier for us to conceptualize planets. Um, and I understand that the flat earth community t takes umbrage with that, but that's, a, again, a different conversation. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not myself. I just want to make sure that we weren't um, talking, like, so just to clarify, because we do talk, it, it becomes ambiguous terminology, right? Like we talk about the spiritual realm and and we talk about dimensions but i i don't think there's a spiritual realm sure. i believe that uh that that this the, the material and the spiritual are two sides of the same okay. coin so um i think that if we were and i i would say that i know that if we were to let's say that we were to visit the kingdom of heaven what's called the kingdom of heaven where where god lives which I believe is paradise, okay? So the kingdom of heaven, the Father's house, is, is another way it's described in, in the biblical narrative. If we were to go there, could we go there in our physical body and interact physically with that realm? I think the answer is quite obviously yes. Uh, and why do I say that? Because look at the resurrected Christ. That's why. Christ resurrected was in his physical body. He had the scars of the of the, of the crucifixion on his hands and feet. And he ate and drank in front of his disciples. He was fully physical. He was a human being, the same human being he was before the crucifixion, before he died. And so 
we know that Christ in this form, not in some spiritual form, in this form ascended to heaven. So, um, yes, we could go there. We could go there. And I believe we could go there, by the way. And this is controversial. And you, not, people don't have to agree with what I say. This is my perspective. And you're, you're welcome to disagree with it. I have no problem with people disagreeing. You don't have to think the way I do. I'm just giving people food for thought, a different angle to look at things. If you can glean something from what I'm saying, that's very good. If you think what I'm saying is completely false and unbiblical or whatever, then that, I'm fine with that as well. But I think that the kingdom of heaven is a place you can go to via the utilization of technological transport. Hmm. Now, is this unprecedented? Is this unbiblical? Certainly not. Did, did, did a chariot of fire not come and pick up Elijah in his physical, human, undead form? It did, didn't it? Mm -hmm. And so this was a conveyance. That's the word I was looking for. Enoch as well, right? This, Enoch was This is a taken. technological conveyance dispatched from the kingdom of heaven to, to uh, pick up Elijah and transport him, presumably there. Maybe not there. Why is that so, like, mind-blowing for us? Because we think that the spirit, because we think that there is such a thing as a spiritual realm and that that spiritual realm is not physical. But nowhere are we told that the spiritual realm is not physical. It's, we, we've invented this again. And I'm going to say that this is a product of medieval theology. Okay. And so there's no reason to think that where God lives is not a physical place. Okay. And by the way, the Bible says, the New Testament, we're told that God dwells in unapproachable light. We're also told that no one has ever seen God at any time. No one has ever seen God at any time. So I think it's more correct to say where the Son of God dwells. So that's a theological conversation for another <laughs> that's time. A but, that's a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, so getting back to the Genesis 6 narrative, working our way into it, Adam was created to be a regent of, of the earth. Very important, because there had been rebellion, there had been this massive insurrection, and there was it was it was determined by the king and his council, not just the king, but the king and his council. It was determined to create a new member in the family, and that that member would look like the other sons of God and would have their attributes. And that he would be created for a function analogous to their own. In other words, he would be created to fulfill a purpose similar to their own fellowship in the family of God and to be a regent, to have dominion in a realm of the kingdom. And that realm was the earth, newly renewed. And so rather than appointing another son of God, remember, this is in the wake of rebellion and war and ruin. Rather than appointing another son of God, from the elder race, a new race was created. That's what we, where we find the declaration in the book of Genesis. Let's create a new kind of being, mankind, and let's create him in our image. And people always say, you don't believe that man was created in the image of God? Tim believes that, God, that mankind was created in the image of angels. No, I don't. Mankind was created in the image of God. He just wasn't the only one. So we were created in the image of God. It's the same thing as if we were created, for me to say that we were created in the, in the, in the likeness of our elder siblings. Why? Because they too were created in the image of God. 
If I have an older brother and I'm born after my older brother and I look like my older brother, it would be accurate to say that, oh, this sibling, this is a sibling in the family and he looks like his other siblings. He's in the likeness of his other siblings and they all bear the likeness of their father. Is this not correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sons of God, right? Sons. This is, this is why the Bible is couched in familial terms. How are we to understand the family of God? Through our own families. God doesn't want us, God doesn't expect us to relate to him in his kingdom in, in terms that we're unfamiliar with. That is, that doesn't make any sense. We are, we are instructed to relate to the father and his kingdom through the things that are familiar to us, especially the family unit. So here's a question I've, I've had for a long time is like, we're created, but yet we're still kind of in this realm with Satan and his, and his minions. Yes, but they're subject to us. So they're still under us. Yes, and this is where we're going. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> and this is where this is where this is this is important to understand in the Genesis six narrative. So here we are created regents of the earth, man, mankind, Adam and Eve, regents of the earth. They're they're given dominion of the earth. You can think of it as the title deed of the planet. The planet Earth is given to Adam, and I want you to remember that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's what Paul says. And I believe it literally means that the endowment of the dominion of the earth given to Adam and his offspring will never be taken away and cannot be stolen. Can it be usurped? Can it be abdicated? Yes. Now we're getting into the Genesis 6 narrative. Okay. So God bestows to Adam dominion of the earth and to Adam and his offspring for ever. Okay. Adam and his offspring. And Adam was created again, A for fellowship, B to govern the earth. Very specific task. We know that he was given dominion. It was, it's clearly um, cited in, in the scriptures. It's, it's sometimes people call this a dominion mandate. I don't really like to use that terminology because um, not to pick on charismatics, but in the charismatic world, the dominion mandate has been completely bastardized. It's it's a completely different theology, and it's 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 wrongheaded and it's it's erroneous. Um, but when I say dominion mandate, the dominion mandate, the dominion mandate isn't to that mankind has to somehow regain dominion of the earth from the devil. No, he was given dominion from the beginning. Indeed, he was created to have dominion of the earth, and he has authority on the earth. As we have authority on the earth as sons and daughters of Adam. And now, and, and, and I promise I'm getting into the Genesis 6 narrative, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and speed this up to get there, but it's so crucial because this is such an important part of the narrative that most people have not comprehended. So if I'm a king, if I am a king and an emperor, let's say, there's a newly conquered realm, there's a newly created realm, and, and I need to govern that realm. I'm going to appoint a regent, and I'm going to send my regent to that realm to govern on my behalf. This is how kingdoms and empires work. So the king is going to dispatch a regent. He's chosen this official in his kingdom. You're going to be, I'm appointing you as the regent of that realm. And I'm going to send you to this faraway land, like the Roman Empire, sending, sending a, a prefect to Thrace in, the, in, in Gaul or something like that. That regent needs two things. 
in order to govern successfully, a regent dispatched by a king governing in a foreign land that's now in the territory of the kingdom, he needs two things. The first thing he needs is a symbol, a signet of the king's authority that he can carry with him, that he can bear on his person so that when he arrives in that distant land, everybody knows this is the guy appointed by the king. Here's the man who bears the authority of the king. This is the person imbued with the authority of the king himself. That's the first thing he needs. He needs a certificate of authority, validation of his authority from the king. The second thing that this individual will need, this regent, is he needs the assurance of the backing of the king's army, which goes along with the validation of his position. So he's arriving to this foreign land. I am now the prefect of this conquered land. Let's put it in Roman terms. And I have two things. I have the signet. I have, here's the symbol of the authority of the emperor. I am authorized to do this, to govern on his behalf. That's the first thing. And here's the second thing. I have the armies of the kingdom at my back. The, 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 I have the legions of the empire who are going to enforce my authority. Because if you have a certificate of authority, but you don't have the backing, you don't have any, any muscle behind it, it, it's worthless, right? The certificate of authority has to be backed by the, the legions of the empire, the armies of the king in order to carry any weight. So you have to have those two things, and those two things go together. Adam needed those two things as well, because he's not the only player in the game. He's not solo in the universe. And so when Adam was created, he wasn't just created as another creature. He was created as a son in the family. The certificate of authority the signet of his authority is the image of God that he bears. Hmm. So the very, the very validation of Adam's authority is what he looks like, him and his offspring. Hmm. He looks like a son of God. And the sons of God look like the son of God. They're made in his image. And the Son of God, the Son of God, Jesus, is the expressed image and likeness of his Father, according to the Scripture, according to the Scriptures. And so when, 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 when a son is created, as opposed to just some other creature, the son is created to be a part of the royal family, the ruling class. And the signet, the seal, the certificate of his authority is the very likeness in which he is created. The likeness of a son of God, bearing the image of God. That is the signet of his authority. And, um, and this plays into Genesis 6. It is directly related to Genesis 6. It is an aspect of Genesis 6 that most people have not comprehended, but it is absolutely essential to comprehend it. Because it, it's good. It's because of the things that are coming. I mean, we, we are headed into a post-human paradigm. So the image and likeness of God, what it means to be a human being, is is extremely, extremely important. I want to uh, I want to read this real quick, and then I'm going to dive right into the Genesis six narrative because I've laid this groundwork. Since the beginning, this is coming, this is uh, from the chapter Mankind in my book. 
since the big, uh, let me uh, see where I want to start here real quick. Um, let me just read this. Just bear with me for a minute. The recognition of authority is essential to the effective rule of any governing body, be it terrestrial or extraterrestrial. When a person is appointed or elected to a position of great authority, the office he holds is represented, represented by a token of authentication, such as a badge or such as a badge, a certificate or a seal. For instance, the seal of the president of the United States is a symbol of the office and authority of the presidency. Official documents published under the president's name, such as presidential orders and commissions, are always authenticated with his seal. And the president is always accompanied by his seal when in public. It is emblazoned on the vehicles that transport him and on the lecterns from which he speaks. The presidential seal imbues its bearer with the honor and authority befitting the office, regardless of whether he merits them personally. Think Joe Biden. It is also a reminder that the president commands the armed forces of the nation and is protected by the same. Everyone knows what would happen if they attempted to storm the podium while the president is speaking. They would be quickly neutralized by the agents of the Secret Service, the guardians of those who bear the presidential seal. Without the threat of force and the power to enact it, governmental authority is entirely ineffectual. Since the beginning of recorded history, seals have been utilized to endorse and authenticate the authority of the documents and persons that bore them. The ancient Mesopotamians made wide use of the cylinder seal, a small cylindrical object typically made of stone, though also of copper, bronze, and gold, that was engraved with the, with the insignia of its owner. When rolled into moist clay, the cylinder would imprint a three-dimensional impression of its engravement, like a stamp. The cylinder seal was employed by every strata of Mesopotamian society as an instrument of personal identification to endorse transactions and agreements or to mark property. But the most significant application of the seal was in governmental affairs, where it was used to authenticate and exercise the king's authority. When a king dispatched a regent to govern a province in his kingdom, the regent would necessarily bear the king's seal as, authentic, as authentication of his appointment. The seal signified that the regent was authorized to act on behalf of the king and that his policies would be enforced and offenders punished by the soldiery of the kingdom. To disobey the king's regent was to disobey the king himself. To attack the king's regent was to declare war on the kingdom and provoke the swift retribution of its armies. Through the ages, kings, oligarchs, emperors, and monarchs wore signet rings engraved with the regalia of the royal house, which frequently included a facsimile of their own likeness. When written endorsement of their authority was required, e.g. a papal bull, they would imprint their seal onto the document by pressing the face of the signet ring into a softened solution of resin and wax. If the contents of the document were confidential, the seal would be used to glue it shut. It was unlawful for anyone but the intended recipient to break the royal seal and open the document. The practice of the seal in earthly affairs is the temporal iteration of a transcendent principle at work in the design of living creatures. The seal of authentication in the kingdom of heaven is bound within the biology of the beings that are created to exercise authority. The hierarchy is preordained. Beings are not created and then provided with the purpose. They are explicitly created for a purpose. If a being is preordained to govern, he is created in the likeness of the sons of God, the ruling class. 
When the King of Heaven determined to bestow the deed of Earth's dominion to mankind, he authenticated the appointment with the seal of his royal house, bearing the facsimile of his own likeness. As with the cylinder seal and the signet ring, the image of the king was imprinted into earthen clay. Adam's very anatomy is the authorization of his authority. He bears the likeness of a son, signaling to all would-be contenders that he is a sibling in the royal house and a member of the ruling class. Mankind was not merely granted dominion of planet Earth, he was explicitly created for it, created for it. I like that. If you think about your everyone's created as as like an actual ring of the family of God, like a physical down to your DNA, right? That's right. Like we bear in our genetic composition, our genetic composition is the signet ring of our authority, the image of God. It authorizes us, the sons and daughters of Adam, good, bad, or indifferent, to govern on earth. And why is the seal of authority authority necessary? Because as I said, we're not the only players in the game. And so our, our, we have, so we have, we have the certificate of authority. Adam was given the certificate of authority. What was the certificate of his authority? The image he bears. He was created in the image of God and the image and, and in the likeness of his elder siblings, a son of God. Anyone who looks upon mankind knows who we are, who we were created to be. I've seen some of those videos where people try to like ha- like take DNA code and say you can spell out Yahweh with the DNA st- stuff like that like they they try to prove that genetically it it writes out like who created us and, and what image we are in. I don't know. I don't know how much stuff to- I think there is some truth to yeah. that. And so we so we have the certificate of our authority. It's the image we bear. It's it is innate in it is inherent in our genetic composition, as opposed to the genetic composition of a chimpanzee, for example. And because we are authorized, legally authorized to have authority on earth, to govern the earth, we have the backing of the armies of the kingdom who enforce our authority. All right, that's laying the groundwork for Genesis 6. Okay. So Adam begins to rule. And by and by the way. Adam was a king. Jesus's lineage doesn't stop at David. It goes all the way back to Adam. So Adam and his offspring, the Bible clearly says in, 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 in uh, Psalm, in the book of Psalms, that the heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the sons of men, period period. He has never given the earth to the devil. The devil is not the ruler of the planet. Now, people will say, then why does Jesus say that the the devil is the ruler of this world and the God of this world and so forth? I explain why in the book. That's a different topic. It's very intriguing, and I explain why. The devil has proximal authority. He gets his authority from us. We abdicate authority. 
because we're the regions of earth. We can abdicate it to whomever we please. And that happens through idolatry. And there's a there's an equation there. And, and again, I go through it in the book, but let's let's skip over that topic for now. And let's just understand that Adam has has this Adam and his offspring, us, good, bad, or indifferent. We are authorized to govern on the earth. And now God reserves the right to depose any king and and appoint any king he wants, because he's the king. If he recalls a region or appoints a different region, that's his, that is his prerogative. Okay. So God is the ultimate authority, the king of heaven, the son of God, who has all authority in heaven as the son of God and all authority on earth as the son of man, which is sort of, you know, the end of the story here. He has the authority to, it's his prerogative to, to appoint or depose whatever king he wants on the earth. But nevertheless, it's always going to be a human being governing the earth. Okay. That's the groundwork. Now we move into Genesis 6. So Adam is ruling on the earth. He's not just a gardener. He's not just, you know, you know, out in his backyard planting vegetables. He is a king on earth. And he is in this cosmology of other sons of God, sons of God in other realms. It's, this, it's, a, it's a galactic scenario. Believe me or don't believe me, but it's a galactic scenario. Okay. And Adam knows this because when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, he not only walked in the cool of the day with his maker, he fellowshiped with his elder siblings. How do I know that? He fellowshiped. He had, he was in, he was in conversation with the dragon who's of the elder race in Eden. And it wasn't some amazing thing. This was, these were his elder siblings. And, and we will have communion with our elder siblings again after the resurrection when we are restored to what Adam lost. So this is, no, this is no great thing. So Adam knows that there are other players in the game. He knows that the elder race are, are our elder siblings. He understands that this is a kingdom and that he has been appointed to govern the earth. And, and we can deduce all of this logically, and we won't do it here, but, but it, it is easily derived from the biblical narrative. And this is great. So this is this is this is. Adam's governance is proceeding on the earth as the years pass, many, many years pass, centuries are passing by, and Adam and the, and the, the line of Adam through Seth are just for the most part and righteous and walking in the ways of the Lord and being honorable to the king, and the line of Cain is falling away and being seduced by the devil and becoming corrupted and uh, you know, defying the king and, and acting a dictate of the king. So they're becoming, they're aligning themselves with the apostate sons of God. They're becoming apostate, whereas the line of Seth more or less are walking with the Lord. Okay, Seth, but the line of Seth, by the way, represented by the sheep, the line of Cain by the goats. And so this is the scenario before the Genesis 6 event. That's a whole lot of groundwork to lay before we get to, to, lay before we get to Genesis 6, and it is extremely important. So... So now we get down the line. We get, you know, centuries down the line. We get to Jared in the line of Adam. And Jared, in, we know that in the days of Jared, this is when, the, according to the book of Enoch, this is when the Genesis 6 event occurred. And I don't have the timeline in front of me here, so I can't. I'm, I'm not a numbers guy. I forget numbers. But, you know, I have a timeline worked out. Uh, I don't know if I actually put that timeline in the book or not. It's in the book in, in words. In, in it's, it's, I explain it with words. I don't know if I actually have a diagram in there. I can't remember. But 
So we get to Jared and something very, very interesting, unprecedented happens. We get to this narrative in which both in the sixth chapter of Genesis and in the sixth chapter, ironically, of Enoch. And by the way, the Genesis, the Genesis narrative, the author of Genesis literally copied and pasted the first paragraph from the book of Enoch. And so the narrative is coming from the book of Enoch. It's coming from Enoch himself, or at least the tradition of Enoch. And it's being written in a post-flood context. It's being recompiled, let's say, in a post-flood context. So we're getting a copy and paste from the book of Enoch in, in, in the first, you know, the first paragraph of, of Genesis 6, which we're all very familiar with. As I said, it's become nearly as famous as John 3.16. You know, Genesis 6.1, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were comely, and decided to take them as wives and so forth. And so this is a momentous occasion, because here we're going to run into all kinds of problems. So we have this scenario where Adam is governing the earth. Only Adam and his offspring are authorized to govern the earth. Hear me, the devil and his angels, the dragon and his insurrectionary forces on earth are not authorized to govern the earth. They do not have the authority. It was given to Adam and his offspring. They cannot forcibly remove Adam from his throne and occupy that throne. Why can't they do that? Because remember the two things. A, Adam has the certificate of his authority, okay? And B, he has the armies of the kingdom enforcing that authority. So what stops the devil from simply taking over? Well, it's very simple. The armies of the kingdom. That's who stops him. They stop him. He can't do it. They oppose him. It's impossible. He can't do it. So he derives whatever authority, whatever authority he has on earth, he gets it from us. Again, that's a different conversation. Now, the Genesis 6 uh, uh, affair, the sons of God, understand that we're talking about sons of God here. The sons of God. Why is this important? Because these beings, sons of God, are called what in the, in, the, in the Enochian narrative? Watchers. So let's establish something right off the bat. This is from my perspective. I'm just giving you my perspective. I'm not trying to shove it down your throat. I'm just giving you my perspective here. So the sons of God are just that. They're sons of God. So what do they look like? Us. They look like us. The sons of God, we look like them, as we've said many times, as I've said, I think, half a dozen times on your show. We look like them. This is apparent in the biblical narrative. We always, we look like them. We look like them. And these aren't, these aren't the, the ones that were locked in the earth before it was, well, when it was just water? No, no. These are the sons of God in heaven. So it's a different breed. That's, that's, a, that's a good observation because the devil and his angels are also sons of God. They're apostate sons of God. By the way, the devil and his angels, they look like the good guys. The good guys and the bad guys don't look different. They look the same. They look the same. They're, they're all sons of God. The devil is not this horned, ugly creature. No, he looks like the other sons of God. He's very comely. He's very handsome. He probably looks like a 30-year-old, you know, golden blonde hair, blue eyes. I don't know why people get mad when I say that. People get mad. It becomes this racial thing, and that's stupid. That's ignorant. So like Zac Efron? People, He's like Zac Efron. 
Just <laughs> I don't know who that is, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Of course, you know Tim. That's that's a good thing. That's beautiful. <laughs> so just some dumb, just the star of every rom com is this guy. He's just a little, just a little hunk. But that's good though. That's a good thing to know because it sometimes people think that these just these angels were kind of roaming around and they just kind of got no. He by the way, the devil is subject to our authority on earth. He's subject to our authority and not the Christian's authority to the authority of the sons and daughters of Adam. Period. Do you think that they took a chariot down to the top of Mount Hermon, like we described earlier in the conversation? Like they came. Okay. Okay. So, so I'm going to get there in a second. So the sons of God. Now, now this is very important. Yeah. This is very important. The sons of God who descended in the days of Jared are called watchers. Irene in the Aramaic, Egregori in the Greek. So what can we now deduce about the watchers? What, what can we deduce about the watchers based on what we know about the sons of God? We can deduce that the watchers look like us. Can we not? According to my line of logic here, we can deduce that the watchers look like us. They're not reptilian. They're not gray aliens. They're not insectolins. They're not grotesque horned creatures. They're not cherubim type looking things, which I think cherubim are just sons of God also, by the way. These are beings who look like us, except, they're, except they look better than us. They're of a higher nature. They are more comely than we are. They are fairer than we are. Those who are fans of the Lord of the Rings, we're the, we are the, we're, we're, we're men and they're the elves. Okay. Yeah. And that's a very good way to think about it because I think Tolkien was tapping directly into this uh, cosmology. And the gingers are in the middle, right? They're the dwarves. <laughs> the gingers are a different conversation <laughs> altogether. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the gingers are a different conversation nobody altogether. Nobody likes them. <laughs> uh, so, so every time you say that, I think of uh, I think of Jen Psaki, the press secretary. So I don't want to think about this. Let's not talk about the. Gingers. Don't give Nate. Don't give Nate's people a bad name. Yeah, you know, based, on, based on one bad apple. <laughs> I have a ginger. One of my kids is a is a is a ginger. So, so let's so so this is pretty profound, I think, for a lot of your audience if they're following this line of logic. Why? Because so many people assume that the Watchers are like reptilian things. Or that they're, or the watchers are gray aliens, or that watchers are this or that. No, 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 no. According to my perspective, which I think I believe is the correct biblical perspective, you can dispute that if you want. But if you're going to dispute it, read my book first, please. The watchers look like us, so the watchers are sons of God. These are not grotesque entities. These are not reptilian freaks. These are probably blonde, golden blonde hair, blue eyed, green eyed, whatever, fair skin entities. This is not a racial commentary. That's ignorant. It's not mm-hmm. so they're in the family and they're looking down on humanity and then yes. they get tempted. They're younger siblings and they're looking down at their lumber, younger siblings. They're looking down at the earth. And by the way, let's deal with the with what a watcher is. The word watcher, just like the word angel, is does is not a descriptor of race. It's not like this is a creature called a watcher. No, it is a descriptor of occupation, just like the word angel. The word angel only convey, it's only a descriptor of occupation. It means envoy, messenger. We talked about that. The word watcher is synonymous with the word warden. Hmm. 
guardian. Just like in English, where we say there's a watchman. There's a watchman post at, we, we say, you know, we say security guard, but really the, 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 the way that the traditional way of saying that is a watchman. There's a watchman posted at the gate. He's a security guard, right? He's watching, he's guarding, he's a guardian. Watchman, guardian. Guess what else is a guardian, by the way? Guess what else is a guardian? Cherubim. So I believe watchman, guardian, cherubim, seraphim, all the same thing. These are guardians, wardens of the kingdom. These are high-ranking members of the elder race, possibly members of the council. So you like it, yeah. Possibly princes in the kingdom, possibly. But they're definitely wardens and guardians of the elder race. I think they're all the same thing. They're wardens of the kingdom. They have authority in the kingdom. These are high-ranking members of the elder race, our elder siblings. They're looking down at the earth. They're guardians of the kingdom, wardens of the kingdom, and they're observing the activities of mankind. And they notice the daughters of Adam. Because I'm going to say something because I have to, because I have to be intellectually honest here. I don't know if there are female angels. I don't know if there were ever females among the son, other sons of God. I don't know. I, I do know that the Bible says nothing of them. And that, yeah, we talked about that. that it's always in masculine terms. I don't know. For whatever it's worth, I don't know. But I do know that mankind was given a special gift, was endowed with a special gift from the Father. He was given the ability to procreate a family. And, and a family in the, in, in, in the image of the divine family. He was given this wond- wondrous gift among the sons of God. He got to have a wife. And, and I, 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 I get the sense that maybe the watcher, maybe the sons of other sons of God don't have females, or maybe they did at one time and they don't now. Let's just say for the sake of argument, they don't, because there's no indication that they do. Now, again, in the interest of intellectual honesty, who knows? But there's no indication that they do. So Adam, and we know that this was a special occasion. Why? Because God said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he was given a helpmate, a woman, a counterpart, a female counterpart. Perhaps this was the first time anything like that had ever happened. And the other sons of God are are looking at this and they're thinking, wow, that's really great. And maybe there's some jealousy. No, no, for sure. There's definitely some jealousy setting in. And here's mankind with this female counterpart, beautiful women who he can copulate with and produce other men, other imagers, other sons of God through procreation, that he's afforded this gift of God called family. And that's why, by the way, the enemies of God are in the business of ruining Mm. families and destroying the family unit. They hate it. They hate it. Mm. And so because they're jealous. Okay. And they're envious. And so, and so they're looking down, the watchers are looking down, they're seeing the daughters of men, and now we have a problem. And, you know, we don't have to go on forever and ever and ever. You guys can cut me off whenever. We can go for two hours if you want. We can go for an hour and a half, and we can just continue this discussion when, again if you want, because it's, it's, it's not a short discussion. But we have a problem here. And a part of my book here. So we have a, we have a problem here. This is a theological quandary. The watchers looked down at the daughters of Adam and Cain, 
and they lust. Yeah. That's a problem. And, and as I say it, let me, let me actually uh, um, orient myself here in the book because I'm going to use my well, book. Well, it's just weird a, to even um, think about it. They get aroused. So they have, they have the. Yes. Yes. They've got the, <laughs> they've got the tools. That's we right. We talked about that too, Nate. Yeah, we talked about that too. <laughs> with me or with someone else? With you, Tim. Yeah, with you, Tim. <laughs> Women create problems in, in all realms. <laughs> I'll not comment on that because <laughs> uh, I have a wife. Well, hey. Who may to of us, who all of yeah. us. No, I mean, it's just that's that's the power of women, right? So, so I want to say this. I want to say this um, in the most concise way I can. And to do that, I'm going to read this paragraph. Again, bear with me. In the authors of this coming from my book chapter called Fall the Watchers. In the author's opinion, though broadly consumed, the implications of the Genesis 6 affair have been poorly digested. If, having read the passage above, and I, it's Genesis 6, and it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters, and the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them, so on and so forth. So that's what I'm referring to. If, having read the passage above, the theological furniture in your mind has not been rearranged, then you have simply not understood what is insinuated in the text, that the angels, the children of heaven, could look upon human women and burn with lust for them is a shocking contradiction of the traditional perception of heavenly beings who are not supposed to be clothed in bodies of flesh. Furthermore, that they deem themselves reproductively compatible with our species is sufficient to overturn the notion that not only that not only that only we are made in the likeness of God. In other words, they're also made in the likeness of God. The meaning of the text is inescapable. The sons of God were sexually attracted to the daughters of men and desired to copulate with them and beget offspring. And then I write this, too often the sexuality Im implicit in the Genesis 6 affair is brushed aside by theologians who swing the broom of incredulity to and fro, sweeping away every pestiferous detail that makes a mess of their angelology. Angels are spiritual beings, they contest, and therefore incapable of lusting after, having sex with, and impregnating human females. Forcefully, though the argument is advanced, it will never escape the counter-momentum of its own irrelevance, because that is precisely what they, the angels, did. Hmm. The problem for theologians is that sensual impulses imply sexual organs and reproductive biology, which according to conventions, angels must not have. In an effort to circumvent this problem, some researchers have suggested, I won't get it, I'll stop there. Uh, we'll get into that here in a minute. I'm just getting this vision that they, that the watchers roll in on like the UFO and park it right in front of the nightclub and pop open the doors and be like, what are you doing, ladies? You know what put I mean? On, like, yeah, put on some careless whisper. <laughs> see if they can bring them to the car. <laughs> Wearing some bell-bottom right? pants. Yeah. The button-down shirt. They just roll out. It's disco era. And it's just, I mean, how do you think they roll onto the scene, Tim? Okay. All right. Let's talk yeah. about that. So oh, so here we go. We now, now we have... Now we're beginning to understand why the watchers did what they did, but that's not the only reason. So we know, I call this the first cause and you got to deal with the first cause. The first cause of the fall of the watchers is lust. Sorry. That's what the book, that's what the Bible says. And that's what the book of Enoch says. They lusted full stop. They lusted. Okay. They lusted. They got the equipment guys. They have to, you cannot lust 
if you if you are a eunuch, the reason why kings created eunuchs is, was so that those eunuchs, and we all know how eunuchs become eunuchs. They, you know, they get their junk chopped off. Let's just the reason why eunuchs become eunuchs is so that they can be the caretakers of the, the king's concubines. Yeah, yeah. So that the king can trust that, you know, that they're not uh, drinking from his cistern, as the Bible puts it, right? Yeah, they're not, fi- not fishing from the company dock, right? <laughs> yes. So, so when, 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 the, when their equipment is removed, the sexual impulse is dampened and, and virtually gone, correct? 100%. So if angels are having a sexual impulse, what can we logically derive that they have the equipment? So weird. And the problem is that if the angels didn't have female counterparts, then why do they have the equipment in the first place? That's a problem. We can just That's ponder weird. that. You can ponder that tonight as you lay in bed. But but let's not, let's not worry about that. Let's just <laughs> deal with the facts. The angels lusted. They lusted. You cannot lust unless you were biologically equipped. Do you think they just sat up there and had conversations like, man, look at her. Wait, mm, you know what I mean? Something to that effect. Like, and 12 o'clock, watch out. <laughs> by the way, by the way, the daughters of Adam were almost, they were close to the pure genetic stock. So these, these, were, these were the cream of the crop of human females. Almost unblemished, almost genetically unblemished. Okay, so you can imagine. So the angels are are lusting, and that implies that these are physical beings. They're lusting. They want to have, have sex with these women, but that's not the only impulse. So let's back up. That's not the only reason that, uh, according to the Book of Enoch, which which enlarges on the tail, and again, this syncs with the, the Book of if, if they abandon their post. And they're, they're watchers. They have a job. If they abandon their post, are they now apostates? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But they don't. They didn't do that okay. yet. They're just planning it. So, sure. so I want you to. I want you to notice that the. This is this is uh, from Enoch six. One, and the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them, and said to one another, "Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men and." beget us children. So now we have at least two motives. We have, we have the primal, we have the primal carnal urge to, that these angels had to have sex with these women, but then we have something else. They don't just want to go down and rape a bunch of human women. That's not what they want. They want to beget children. They want to have families, just like Adam and his offspring. They're envious of Adam for his wives, for their wives, the sons of Adam, for their wives and for their families. Okay. And there's a third element. So there are three reasons. And I think I've said this on your podcast before, but let's just retread this ground for a moment. There are three reasons why the watchers did what they did. One, wives. Mankind was granted a special, well, let me back up. Let me, let, me, let me back up. The methods by which the watchers accomplish the transgression are not as important as the motives, I write, and there's a re- we'll talk about that in a minute. Why do they do it? Aside from the primal urge for sexual intercourse, they seem to have been consumed with another carnal impulse, envy. The watchers were envious of mankind. Specifically, there are three things they coveted. Number one, wives. 
Mankind was granted a special privilege that was not afforded to the sons of God, a female counterpart, a wife. The watchers envied men for their wives. Number two, offspring. Because men had female counterparts, they could procreate offspring. The watchers wanted to beget their own children and have families like the sons of Adam. Number three, and here's the key. This is why we laid the groundwork, guys. Here's the key. Number three, dominion. Mankind was given dominion of planet Earth. The watchers coveted man's dominion and plotted to usurp it by producing their own hybrid sons. This is perhaps the most important and most overlooked aspect of their transgression. They wanted wives. They envied envied men for their wives. They wanted to produce offspring. And they wanted dominion on earth. This is, this is all essential to understanding the Genesis 6 narrative because it's going to happen again. Hmm. But it's going to be different. It's going to be different, but it's essentially going to happen again. So the defection of the Watchers, though provoked by lust, was not entirely impulsive. They had a plan. Yeah. By copulating with the women of Earth, they could produce their own offspring who might be human enough to inherit Adam's birthright. Hmm. By the way, that's what I didn't say. Adam's birthright and our birthright is dominion of the earth. That's why my book's called Birthright. The half-breed sons of the Watchers, inexorably superior to their human cousins in every way, would seize the thrones of men and establish their own kingdoms, which their fathers, the Watchers, would rule by proxy. Do you think they had the right to rule? Do you think they had dominion, or do you think that they were just who the uh, offspring, the kids, the children? Yes, they were human enough. Human enough. So that's why the Watchers created hybrid offspring. Yeah, human enough to inherit the authority of Adam. Tim, how how much of this? I know you just touched on this, but how much do you think the, the impetus was was to usurp, and how much was you know that knee jerk? lust right because because there's so many things that play it we, t- we talked into a whole bunch of the stuff what plays into it right it's the idea that if you can usurp then and you can also muddy a bloodline there's no room for a messiah like how much of this is but they weren't thinking about the messiah the watchers weren't thinking about the messiah and, I, and, I, and I, the dragon was thinking about the messiah see there's another player in this game who's unnamed but he's inevitably there the dragon okay. The dragon wants to see the dragon is sitting back. The dragon did not sully his hands in this sin. He was too cunning. He knew that this sin would would invoke swift retribution from heaven. And it did. And he didn't sully his hands with this. I'm going to suggest to you that he's going to Hmm. at the end when he knows his time is short. And but but in the but in the Genesis 6 affair, the devil had a motive that was different from the watchers. The watchers hoped, and I can, I, and I, and I show this in the book as unbelievable as unbelievable as it sounds. It's actually clear in the book of Enoch. The watchers hoped that 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 what they were doing, even though they knew that it was that it was a grave transgression, they say so in the book of Enoch. That's why they took an oath, by the way, and imp, and and bound themselves by mutual imprecations. 
In other words, they were, it was all for one and one for all in what they're about to do. Nobody was going to squirm out and say, no, I wasn't a part of this. They were binding themselves by an oath. That's what Herman means. They, they descended to Herman, and we're going to talk about what they might have showed up with here in a second. They descended on the summit of Herman, and they, they were determined to do this thing that they knew was going to piss God off. They knew it, but they hoped that they would find clemency. That's apparent in the book of Enoch and that that might even be sanctioned. So let me, let me, let wow. me start from there. The watchers descend to Hermon. What does that look like? I'm going to tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't involve wings. That's for sure. No wings involved. Cut those wings off. There are no wings involved in the watchers descent to the summit of Hermon. Wings are not in the equation. Angels don't have wings. The sons of God look like us, just like us. They don't have wings. They do have technology. How did they arrive to the sum of Hermon? DeLorean. In saucers. <laughs> in the DeLorean, yeah, sure. Yeah. They, they arrived in saucers. They arrived in walnut-shaped craft. They, they arrived in the, the very same kind of technology which the Pentagon is now admitting exists. They arrived in their ships. That's how they arrived. And I believe that they used a wormhole, a stargate, that they came from a different realm. No, not a spiritual realm, a physical realm. Let's say another planet, maybe. As, as, as angry as people get about that, I can't, I don't understand why people get so angry about that. I don't. People are so willing to accept this, this abstract notion of another dimensional realm. Well, if they're, if they're watching us, they can't be too far, right? Well, technology. Sure. So... So the watchers descend to the earth, and when we say descend, that's just a, that's just a, a colloquialism of, of the way that we describe this event. They came to the earth. They arrived to the earth. I would submit the same way that the Greys did. Okay, they came in their craft, and they used a stargate to do it. I believe there's a stargate on the summit of Hermon. I can't prove it. Maybe that's fantasy. Maybe I'm crazy. Uh, maybe it's just you know sci-fi fiction, but I think there's a stargate on the summit of Fermont. And their watchers arrived at that point. It's a, it's it is a point of arrival. It is a gate. And they they didn't arrive from through, through some supernatural means and they didn't fly with wings. They came with technology. Now if the three of us are going to determine to do what the watchers did, let's put us in their position and we know that we might get screwed in this deal. And 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 we might inc incur the wrath of God. And the armies of heaven might be hunting us like dogs at some point. We're going to make some preparations. So we're going to make sure that we come prepared to stay. And we're going to bring things that are important to us. We're going to bring technology. And we're going to, we're not going to, we're not going to jog. We're going to come in our craft. And we're going to make sure that we're well equipped. And that's how they came. They didn't descend with wings. Don't, don't envision watchers descending from heaven and alighting on the summit of Hermon, you know, flapping their wings and landing on the summit of Hermon, they're showing up in saucers or some other kind of craft, walnut, cigar shape. They're showing up in, in craft. And, and 70 of them, right? Uh, there are 200. So this, maybe it's a fleet. They show up. Probably if you were looking in the, from the plains around Mount Hermon, and you're looking up and on that particular day, you probably saw a fleet of UFOs appear in the sky and, and, and land on the summit of Hermon. And then these watchers, they descended into the plains. Now, what are they going to do? This is very important. And again, guys, just 
We don't have to go through this whole thing tonight. They descend into the plains around Hermon. And what are they going to do? Are they going to come down into Hermon? These reptilian, demonic-looking creatures going to descend and start raping women? No. Nope. These are beautiful beings, males, descending in their craft. The doors of their craft are opening. And I believe, specifically, the sons of Cain are there to greet them. Hmm. And I go into that in my book. I believe it was the sons of Cain, the offspring of Cain and their daughters. So the watchers, the, the, the doors of the craft open and out come the Nordics. Brad Pitt. Zach Efron didn't work. Out come a bunch of Brad, 200 Brad Pitts. <laughs> out comes a bunch of Brad Pitts. <laughs> out come the Nordics, for those who are familiar with ufology. The Pleiadians, as they call them, although I don't think from the, they're from the Pleiades. Maybe they are. Maybe they're now, not. Now I, I understand why you said you had a different take on Genesis 6. Now it's making sense. Now, out come the Pleiadians, <laughs> okay? And I'm not saying that they're from the Pleiades, and I don't, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm just, just so you have an image in your mind, those of you who are familiar with the Nordics, the Pleiadians from ufology. Out come the Nordics. Six and a half feet to seven feet tall. You know, these are not grotesque beings. These are the kind of beings that mankind's knees buckle and they worship them. Okay. Even John, who saw the resurrected Christ, fell down at the feet of a son of God who came to deliver him a message. Um, so these are beautiful, regal entities, M- men for all, int- all intents and purposes, although they're not men, they're of the elder race. Remember, the Bible says that we were created to be a little lower than the angels. They're of a higher nature than we are. Out come they from their craft. And the sons of Cain, who are also, also <laughs> uh, very robust Humans, these are, the again, close to the cream of the crop of the human race, remember. We're close to Adam here in the genealogy. So these men are also themselves robust, you know, very, very well put together men. And out come these, you know, they, 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 these, these, these sons of God, the watchers, the wardens of the kingdom, and they approach the sons of Cain, the sons of Adam. And... What happens? I'm going to tell you, and I'm, I'm very confident about this. And again, I'm not going to go into why, but you can read the book if you want to find out. They make a deal. They don't, they, don't, they don't show up and throw women over their shoulders and start running around like barbarians. They come to broker a deal. How do I know that they come to broker a deal? Because they knew something before they came to the earth. They knew, according to the book of Enoch, that the sons of of Adam, and I believe specifically the sons of Cain, again, I go through the reasoning in the book, were striving to learn certain things, according to the book of Enoch. So they knew that there were things that the sons of Cain were trying to figure out, technological things, sciences that the sons of Cain were trying to figure out. Remember, the sons of Cain started building cities. So the sons of Cain are very, very, these are very smart people. These are not dum-dums. These are not cavemen. These are people whose IQs are astronomical. They, they, we're, we're the dum-dums. We're the cavemen. They are the prototypical man. So the sons of, these, the, the sons of Cain are striving to learn something here, technology, knowledge. And the sons of God, the elder race, shows up ready to broker a deal. 
And here's the deal. Maybe they sit down and have a meal, just like Abraham did, remember? With the sons of God, with the angels. Just like Lot did in his own home. They sit down and they, and they begin to talk business. And the sons of God already know what the sons of Cain want. And they tell them, and the sons of Cain, by the way, know who these people are. These, these are very close to Adam. Sons, we're, we're very close to Adam. They know. They know all about the kingdom of heaven. And the sons of Cain are bartering with the sons of God. The sons of God present them with an offer. We will give you the technology. We will teach you what you are striving to learn. We'll teach you. What do we want in return from you? Give us your daughter's hands in marriage. 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 Understand that this is a legal transaction. This is a legal transaction. The, the elder race, members of the elder race, the watchers are coming to the earth and they are approaching a faction, a delegation of the rulers of the earth. And they're saying to them, we will give you technolo technology, or at least knowledge, and you give us your daughter's hands in marriage. Sanction this marriage. This was a legal transaction. And obviously we know what happens. The, 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 the barter is the, the deal is struck. The sons of Cain are all too eager to do this. And by the way, the daughters of Cain are all too eager to wed the sons of God. Why wouldn't they be? Of course they are. These are exceedingly handsome men, apparently who are wise and knowledgeable and powerful with advanced technology. Of course, the daughters of men are, this is their dream come true. My God, of course they want to marry these. These are not reptilians. And so the, the, the sons of Cain, you can imagine a ceremony, weddings taking place, feasts, dancing. And let's say, you know, Tubal Cain or whoever gives his daughter's hand in marriage in a ceremony to one of these. There's 200 of them. They each take a wife. They don't take them. They're given transaction. Remember, it's a legal transaction. And so the watchers are given permission by the regents of earth to do this thing. So far, we are on legal ground. Mm. And the watchers, of course, they take these wives, they wed them, they have sexual relations with them, the women conceive, and you can imagine the sons of Cain, the, the father-in-laws, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thinking, this is great. Our, our, you know, we're now related to these sons of God, the power, the authority, right? And... Now our grandchildren are going to be these hybrid 
demigods, part human race, part elder race. I don't think they had any freaking idea what was about to come out of those wombs. Hmm. Because what came out of those wombs, whether they split the wombs or whether they were born as regular sized babies, like people with uh, gigantism, and then their growth accelerated in their infants, in, in their adolescence, either way, the result was the same. I tend to believe that they were born as normal sized babies. I'm talking about the Nephilim, the giants. They were born as normal sized babies. Why? Because the women are still around. The, the wives of the watcher are still around in the, in the Enochian narrative. They're still around um, yeah. when the giants are born. They're still around. So that tells me that at least yeah. many of them were surviving. We've talked to a lot of people about this, and a lot of people say on their show that like they just kept growing and growing and growing. They were, it was like growing. gigantism. They just accelerated growth. And these and, and imagine the, these father-in-laws looking at their grandchildren thinking, oh, this is great. Look how amazing. They are. And then suddenly they're watching them get bigger. I mean, uh, gradually they're watching them get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're thinking, uh-oh, this is a problem. Mm. Because suddenly you have a race of hybrid beings who are now inhabiting the earth, who are human enough to appropriate the authority of Adam, to be called sons of Adam, but yet are massive and powerful and strong enough to dethrone any human king. And that's exactly what they did. And this was part of the plan of the Watchers. The Watchers, remember, wanted dominion of the earth. So it was a Faustian bargain that they made with the, they, they screwed the sons of Cain. Mm. They tricked them. You give us, this legal transaction happened, but they did not foresee this hybrid offspring taking over because that's exactly what happened. The offspring of the watchers grew to tremendous size. Now people are going to, the size is irrelevant to me. It's irrelevant. Were they 200 L's as the book of Enoch says, and you know, whatever that amounts to hundred feet tall or whatever, I don't know. And I don't care. They were big enough to, to consume all the acquisitions of the land and to begin to torment the sons of men and dominate the earth. And the watchers became I mean, the offspring of the Watchers effectively became the, became the rulers of the earth, and they subjugated mankind. They subjugated mankind. And so the, the, their fathers, the Watchers, were able, to, were able to rule by proxy from behind the thrones of their hybrid offspring. And they're deep. Why is this and they're so, deified, why right, is Tim? So, like, I mean, the, these watchers get de deified. Yes, then. the watchers were now the living gods walking on earth, the gods walking among men, just like the, the all the ancients talk about in the golden age, that the gods lived among men, Osiris and so forth. And Osiris had you know, his offspring, uh, Horus and so forth, and these demigod offspring became the kings of the earth. And... And the Osiris and the other primal gods were the, were the gods of the earth and their children, the demigods, were ruling over mankind. And according to the golden age mythos of the pagan nations, this was the most wonderful time on earth. It was a time of bliss and, and knowledge and abundance. It could, that couldn't be further from the truth. The Hebrew narrative is the true narrative. This was a dystopic time of bloodshed. And you all know the story, the bloodshed, the, the, the technology and the knowledge that was given to mankind. It was like matches in the hands of children. 
And it ignited a firestorm of bloodshed and warfare and abominations and sorcery and all kinds of things. And it, and, and, and uh, the earth was corrupted. I was thinking about that this week, you know, just that, that verse in Psalms, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. You know what I mean? You, you read all these just, just really bleak, uh, descriptions of what life was like back in the old days. I mean, this is obviously long after the fact, but the shadow of death, you know, I just want, I always wondered like what, you know, as a kid, you learn these Bible verses. And then as an adult, you're like, Oh, it was, <laughs> I mean, you're, it, yeah, it, it, it was it, just, it, it, well, it was a dystopic nightmare. I mean, it was like a sci-fi dystopic nightmare on earth. We don't understand, but you know, why is this so important? Cause it's going to happen yeah. again. Not, not exactly the same, not in the same. And I'm not saying giants are coming back, but I am saying that hybrids are coming back and that those hybrids are going to usurp the authority of Adam, just like they did in Genesis six at the end of the age. And so that's what happened. The usurpation of Adam, the usurpation of the authority of mankind, dominion of mankind, not by the watchers, but by their offspring, their hybrid offspring. So let me get this straight. I, so you think Satan knows all this is going to happen? Yes. And he he and the Watchers don't really know that these offspring are going to grow. No. And so Satan. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the Watchers knew that they're. They might have been just as surprised by the fact that their offspring were going to be giants, but they did know that their offspring would be superior. They had to. Yeah. They had to. Their offspring were inevitably going to be superior. I mean, it's they're of a they're of a higher nature. So if you take offspring that have the some of the gene by the way genes we're talking dna here some of the genes of their fathers that they're that part of their genome is of the elder race obviously their offspring are going to be superior and so the plan was that their offspring would ultimately usurp would dominate the earth would become the kings and lords of the earth Hmm. but did they know that they were going to be giants i don't know i i i just don't i mean so god god sees all this lets it lets it happen and run amok, and then he just he, he draws a line in the sand and call and 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 calls it quits. Not yet. He doesn't draw he doesn't draw a line in the sand because up till now, mankind has done this himself. Mankind has has uh, has created this his 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 own strife, his own calamity by doing this. By the way, let me let me let me put a footnote in here. Remember where Paul talks about, or is it to Peter? I can't remember. It's Peter or Paul, who makes the commentary that we are going to judge angels. It's Paul. Don't you know that we're going to judge angels? I believe it's Paul. Peter or Paul. Don't you believe? Don't you know that we're going to judge angels? What angels is he referring to? And so people have this conception, which I think is a false conceptualization, that mankind is going to be greater than the angels. No, we're not going to be greater than the angels. We're going to be like the angels. Jesus says we're going to be like the angels, not greater than the angels. Uh, who? What angels are we going to be judging? The angels that transgressed in our realm. Hmm. Those are the angels that we're going to judge. Why? Because we're the regents of the earth. And if I go, if I'm an American citizen and I go over to Peru and I break the laws in Peru, am I going to be judged by the American uh, justice system, by American judges? No, I'm going to be judged by Peruvian judges. Hmm. In the Peruvian justice system, whether or not the infraction was legal in my in my country of origin, regardless, if I broke a law in Peru, I'm subject to the authority, the Peruvian authorities and to the Peruvian justice so, system. Tim, do you feel like 
do you feel like Satan's on the scene at Mount Hermon, kind of like, um, just like the top, you know, the top dog comes down and sort of, sort of feeding the Watchers' lines, and he's yes. he's actively involved before in- Mount Hermon. He's on the scene yeah, before yeah. Mount Hermon. Well, obviously, but like the, making- I believe that he is interfacing with the Watchers, and he is doing what he does. He's tempting them. He's telling them, "Hey, have you seen what's go- what the sons of men are doing? Have you seen their daughters?" Why weren't you given? Why weren't we given wives? Why are our lowly younger siblings who are inferior to us, why were they given wives? Furthermore, why were they given dominion of the earth? Shouldn't it be us? Shouldn't it be you? And so it's easy to see this narrative playing out. This is, this is, this is the way that the devil operates. But, but, but understand, he kept his hands clean other than doing what he is authorized to. The devil's authorized to tempt. He's allowed to tempt all day long without incurring judgment yet. So he can tempt all day long. So he is tempting. It's what he does. He's tempting men and angels. And so what does he want out of this? The watchers, we know what they want. They want wives. They want to have intercourse with these women. They want to have wives. They want to produce offspring and they want dominion. What does the devil want? Well, you said it already. The devil wants to eradicate the lineage of Adam, the line of Adam. Why? Because of the dragon slayer prophecy, what I call the dragon slayer prophecy in Genesis 3, that the seed of the woman would would crush his head. So the dragon knows that a son of Adam, it was going to come from from the virgin womb of Eve. He knew it was a virgin womb because women don't have seed. A son of Adam was going to come from the virgin womb of Eve, of a daughter of Eve. And that, that, that this person was going to crush his head. And so the devil it wants to forestall this. And so what is he trying to do? He wants the corruption of that line, the genetic corruption and eradication of the offspring of Adam, the eradication of the human race. That's his game. And he's using the watchers to achieve it. He's cunning, more cunning than they are. Very, very, very Tim, cunning. Let's get, I had a question about this now because I think this, is, this plays well. We get to Noah, right? Like this is kind of what I was asking about before, and God's just like this is we're we're done, like that we're done with this whole all the watchers and, and these giants running amok and the Nephilim. Is Noah the last? I mean, is he like the last bastion? Is this like the last the dude that hasn't been corrupted, or is all of mankind corrupt at this point? And then, I mean, and what what do you think causes God to just step in and be like, okay, this is it, man? Like this, you guys have done as much as as I've got patience for, or. or you know what happens there because all this stuff, all this stuff happens. You know, and it and it's a lot, and it's allowed in 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 the rules that God set up. And then He's just like, "Nah, this is you guys pushed us too far." I mean, because I think He said something interesting. I don't know if we revisited it. Was that there was there maybe was this idea with the Watchers where there was they thought there was clemency, right? Like if they if they legally transacted this, they, that they could avoid punishment or avoid. That's why they did right, it legally, right? So. That obviously wasn't. It obviously went haywire and, and because we see the result. And by the way, to determine, to, and, and, and uh, we'll get to the corruption in a moment here, to, to seal the notion that mankind has authority on the earth, who was the, who was the mediator? Who was, the, who was delivering the sentencing to the watchers? Enoch. Mm. A man. Mm. The rightful heir of Adam. I think a lot of times when we read Scripture, Luke, we're we just kind of read these events that happen and we just kind of think there's no rhyme or reason to it. 
There's not a system that you have to operate with inside. You can't just. Oh, no, no. The, 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 the kingdom of heaven is functions on authority. Our kingdoms are modeled on the kingdom of heaven. The, our, as I always say, our civilization, we inherited our civilization from the elder race. And so everything we have is modeled on what preexisted us. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of order and law. And, and, and those laws are, are not whimsically broken. And there's, a, a, and there's enforcement. And so authority is enforced. The law of God is enforced. God isn't a joke. The king of heaven is no joke. You break his law, you pay the price. And so there are procedures just like in our legal system, whatever kind of transactions we do here on earth, whether it be buying a house or purchasing a plot of land or going to war with treaties, um, all of this preexisted us. All of this preexisted us. I'm not saying that there's landowners in heaven, but you know what I mean, contracts and agreements and treaties. And we, we have somehow divorced the kingdom of heaven from what we understand on earth, as if the kingdom of heaven is so foreign. It's not foreign. It's not foreign. It's very much like the things that we are familiar with. Um, and it's physical. It is physical. Now, people will say, so what, you deny this, this spiritual stuff? No, I don't. I just think we misunderstand what, 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 what is meant by spiritual. Um, we mis we misconstrue it. We have a we have a medieval pers perception of the spiritual and the supernatural. The term comes from the medieval medieval theology, supernaturalis, beyond nature. We talked about that. So, um, so you know, you talked about you asked me about Noah and the, the and 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 the Book of Enoch says something interesting. I won't bother to read it, but the Book of Enoch talks about a plague that was inflicting the earth, that was corrupting all flesh, and that Raphael was one of the watchers. By the way, the good, the good guys and the bad guys are watchers. Um, that Raphael, one of the watchers, was dispatched, to, uh, was dispatched to heal the plague or was dispatched by one of the watchers to heal the plague, whether he was or, or wasn't himself. The good watchers were, were interfacing with Enoch. That's clear in the book of Enoch. And do you think that's still going on right now? Yeah. Well, wait a minute. What, 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 what's still going on? Sort of like these, uh, these events where their movement of UFOs and there's, you know, sometimes it looks like they're, they're traveling in groups or they're fighting each other or. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I would say this too, Tim, what you're talking about with, with Enoch, it's like, it's exactly what we see in revelation too, right? We have these angels dispatched angels are the angelic dispatched to do, to do these jobs, whether it be to, you know, heal a plague or to inflict the locusts we see in revelation or these different, these different plagues we see repeated again. It's interesting. Like the, the parallels there, it's like the, the ending of the first of the first age with, with Noah and then the prophetic ending of, of then the set of the next age with in revelation, right? You see the same. So it is in some ways a repeat of the events that transpired before the flood in some ways, not in all right. ways, in some ways. And so uh, the, the book of Enoch alludes to this plague. And so there's obviously there's a corruption of all flesh. <coughs> and we all know that it's a genetic corruption. The watchers, by the way, again, remember when you think watchers think Nordics, Think 
beings that look like us, they they copulated with women. They didn't do it in a Petri dish. Remember, the first cause of their fall was lust. They wanted to have sex. I'm sorry to keep repeating this, but yeah. it's what they wanted. So they're not going to satisfy that desire doing some kind of in vitro Petri dish thing. Um, and they didn't inhabit the bodies of men to do it. They came down themselves. They did it themselves. The gods were walking among men. They copulated with these women. They were their husbands. Well, when it says the men of renown, are are some of these offspring giants, and then some of them are like the the the, the, the Book of Enoch talks about, and so does the Book of Jubilees, a six a a, a varying races of giants that were yeah, created. That's what I'm trying to say. Through, through the pro, that were procreated through the union of the watchers. So some of women. them could come out like Poseidon, and some of them could just be like giant, like trolls kind Shrek. of thing. Shrek. <laughs> no, I don't believe that they were like tro- trolls. Remember that the the dominion of the earth is in is in play here. So they were human enough. They were part. They were human, and they're the human race and the elder race. And if the humans and angels look alike, why would their offspring come out looking like uh, some furry monster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get- um, or a dinosaur looking thing. It wouldn't. It would look human. It would look just like. I guess us. I didn't. I didn't explain that right. Just like big giant, like dumb beasts that are that look like humans but no these were not dumb beasts these were very intelligent beautiful um um um, humanoid beings i don't believe they were dumb brute but why don't i believe they were dumb brutes because they were the offspring of the watchers they were the offspring of the watchers they're not dumb brutes They, they, they have the genetic composition not only the watchers but of the daughters of eve who are very close to yeah, the genetic yeah. source. So these are these are cream of the crop women. Maybe it's the Rephaim with, that with, I'm with watchers that I'm thinking like down the line when. when well, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna get to what you're thinking about yeah, here yeah. in a minute. Um, we're talking about the offspring of the watchers and women. These are not grotesque things. Are there different races? Do they differ in appearance? But yes. these are the men of renown. Yes. Okay. Yes. Are they all the same size? You know, again, I'm not concerned with how big they were. Were they giants? Yes. Every indication is that they were giants. So that's what the word, I I subscribe to Heiser's interpretation of the word Nephilim. Most people think that the word Nephilim comes from the Hebrew, uh, Nephal, which means to fall. And that's why they call them the fallen ones. I don't think that that's the correct interpretation. line of reasoning. I think that Heiser has it right, that the word comes, it's a transliteration from the Aramaic word, and it literally means giants. It also means earthborn. So these entities were giants born on the earth, and they bore the image of Adam. They were, they were, they were um, authorized as sons of Adam. And what kind of, like, what kind of uh, I guess inherited traits of the Watchers. Do you think they possessed like half of their half? Well, of they their... would have been they would have been more physically robust. They would have been more intelligent. They would have been perhaps well physically robust. They would have maybe. I believe that these the elder race because they're of a higher nature and potentially Adam had was 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 originally like this as well. I don't remember what it's called uh, in the comic books. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, regeneration? 
uh, let's, uh, you know, the, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wolverine. You, you get cut and then you regenerate. What, what do you call it? Regeneration, yeah. right? I think that they have the ability to regenerate. I think you could slash them with a sword and, you know, maybe not as fast as the comic books depict it with Wolverine. But I think that they're and we regenerate. Humans regenerate. We, we heal. But I think they heal a lot faster. And Adam, I believe Adam healed a lot faster, obviously, before he was uh, uh, exiled from Eden. But but even even post Eden. I think Adam, I think Adam and his offering offspring were regenerating very, very quickly. Like, you know, they might they might break a bone and their bone might heal within a week. Yeah. Um, because they were more genetically mm. robust than mm. we are. And and so the watchers probably were even more extreme than that. And certainly, certainly they're of a higher nature. Certainly more super extreme. hunky too. Just super, super hunky. <laughs> yeah, Tim, I, the one thing, I mean, I don't know where you're going with that, but we left off for this on on Raphael, but I don't know where you want to. We were talking about them being hunks. Okay. That's the other. I don't know where we <laughs> are. Oh, you were talking about good watchers. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, let's talk about the Raphael thing. So, so we know that all the all flesh was corrupted, and I didn't finish my thought, which was that um, you know there's there's theories out there that the watchers didn't actually physically have sex with women that they they inhabited other men that's assuming that watchers are just ethereal wraiths that can just inhabit somebody which i think is nonsense i do not believe that the elder race the angels have the power to metamorphosize i think that's complete fiction you, uh, an angel can't turn himself into a rock an angel doesn't turn himself into a dinosaur or a lion or a cat they are what they are, just like we are what we are. There's no reason to believe, there is certainly no biblical substantiation to yeah. the notion that angels can metamorphosize. It's just pure fiction. And it is it is medieval. It's medieval theology. The, the idea that angels can metamorphosize, just like the, the notion that demons are tricksters, that's medieval theology. Uh, there is no indication that that is true. So I don't believe that angels can inhabit other beings. They have bodies of their own. So the question is, did, was there a change? Did they change when they descended? Was there a change? People talk about their wings being clipped. That's nonsense. That, that doesn't make any sense. Number one, they don't have wings. And I know that that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a metaphor, but they don't have wings. No wings are being clipped. They're coming with the same technology as the, the non-defected, the loyal sons of God, same technology, same culture, same language, same, same capabilities. Nothing's changed. The only, things, the only thing that has changed is their allegiance and perhaps one other thing. And this one other thing is very important. And, and I know we're kind of getting a far field here, but I think it's, this is intriguing. I'm trying to touch on things that maybe the audience hasn't heard because I'm sure you guys have talked about yeah. Genesis 6 ad infinitum. So, I want to talk for just a brief moment, and maybe we'll end on this and, and pick up at a later date. I want to talk about immortality, because it's important to consider immortality as we think about the Watchers and the, and the whole narrative. You know, I, 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 talk about two, I talk about two kinds of immortality in my book, and I, and I designate them uh, intrinsic immortality and extrinsic immortality. It's just a, a way of saying immortality that's inherent, innate, built in to the biology of a living thing an immortality that is exterior to a living thing. In other words, it's contingent on something else, something that's exterior, a stimulant, an exterior stimulant. Those are two different kinds of immortality. Of course, immortality means you don't die. So the question is, 
What kind of immortality? Let's talk about Adam first. What kind of immortality did Adam have? Did he have innate, built-in immortality? Or did he have a kind of immortality that was dependent on a stimulant? I think we all know the answer. Adam's immortality was dependent on the tree of life. And when he was banished from Edom, where the tree of life is, the paradise of God, he no longer had access to that tree. You will sure Whatever that die. is, by the way, whatever that means, he began to die. Correct? Yeah. Therefore, Adam had extrinsic immortality. He was not innately immortal. His immortality was contingent, dependent on this stimulant, this external factor, which the Bible calls the tree of life and the fruit of the tree of life. Okay. How about angels? How long can they go? How about angels? So are angels inherently immortal? Are they intrinsically immortal? Were they created to be immortal? I'm going to suggest that they are not that their immortality is exactly like ours. It's contingent. It's extrinsic. It's, it's dependent on an external factor, just like ours. Because immortality is a gift of God. And Paul says that only God is immortal, truly immortal. In other words, only God himself is, extrinsically, is uh, intrinsically immortal. We now we can now consider a scenario in which the apostate sons of God are banished from the kingdom. Psalm eighty-two. They're banished from paradise. They no longer have access to whatever it is that imbues immortality. Just like us. Now, we know that Adam, when he was banished from Eden, lived almost a thousand years. Almost a thousand years, banished from Eden. If, if angels of a, are of a higher nature, and they are, how many more years would they live? Maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands. I'm guessing tens of thousands. And if these angels are in possession of advanced technology, life-extending technology. So this, this creates... There's a lot of cultic, occultic practices, drinking blood and other things to extend your life, right? Maybe derives from them. Probably yeah. does. So, so would that timeline, though, would force the issue? I want you to remember that the Garden of Eden, that there is... The gates were shut to Eden, and there was cherubim placed at the flaming gates. Flaming swords. And a flaming yeah. sword, right? To keep out whom? Everybody. Adam? I don't think so. I don't even think Adam could perceive the gates of Eden after the fall, or at least his offspring. So are the cherubim and the flaming sword there to keep mankind out, or is it there to keep out the dragon and his insurgent is in his angels. I think it's there to keep out the dragon and his angels who want nothing more than to get back into mm. paradise. Hmm. So yeah. here's a question. Here's a question that you've probably never heard. And I never even contemplated until I was writing this book. Is the devil dying? Well, that's what I was saying. Is he forcing the issue? Is he trying to get the war going because... He's got to conquer God in order to get back to the tree. 
Yes. Part yeah. of it. Yes. Yeah. Tim, what? He's got a time. He's got a, his time is ticking yeah. away. And, and people say, oh, that, no, they're spiritual be beings. No, angels, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Put aside your Sunday school indoctrination for a moment and answer me this question. Why do angels have weapons of war? Sure. If they can't inflict bodily harm mm -hmm. on one another. Well, maybe their, Wolver What's their the Wolverine point? blood slowly dies out and they can't regenerate as quickly and then they... No, I think they can die. And it doesn't make any other sense. And, and they can be regenerated and perhaps even resurrected. But... But it doesn't make any other sense. I'm sorry. I'm a very simple man. And, and, and I, I don't accept simple. I do not accept. I'm a simple man. I look for practical answers. I do not accept supernatural answers. And what do I mean by that? Yeah. What I mean by that is I don't accept answers like this. Well, they're supernatural. I'm sorry. That is too simplistic. I mean, talking about, I mean, you know, growing up reading about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and all these things, right? I mean, it didn't really make any sense in terms of the other theology that we were taught. But, I mean, this is the first time in my life at 40 that these these concepts actually make any sense. I don't know about you, Luke, but after you said that on our last interview, I was like, damn, like that's a, that, that puts in really practical terms what these things are. And why do we have fruit trees here? You know? Tangible. Yeah. That's Tim right. It's Tim, tangible. one of the things I'm curious about is 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 if they are dying, and I, th I think this is really interesting, like Psalm 82, right? Like where God sits in the Elohim, sits in the you council die like, like men, me. right? So the judgment That's is... right. Why? Because they're going to be banished from the kingdom. By the way, I don't think Psalm 82... And then this is where I part ways with some very respected theologians uh, and scholars. I do not believe that Psalm 82 is referring to something that happened on earth. Yeah, I don't... I think Psalm 82 is looking back. The insurrection, right? It's like the yeah. Yes. It's looking back. So it's not it's not dealing with Israel, it's not dealing with you know it's looking back as so much of the Bible is. So how do you, how do we balance this then? So the the judged, the apostates are dying and they also know the end, right? And so there's this there's got to be this crazy juxtaposition in that in that faction, right? Because they want to drag this out as long as possible because they know the end is is finality and in, in, in Yahweh, the God of the King, God of heaven wins. And so they're trying to corrupt and take all this collateral damage and draw this out, right? And not let the end come. But at the same time, they're also dying. Like there's Yes. And when you add in the element of death, you get the urgency now. Yeah. And and you and you begin to understand some things like human sacrifice, by the way, and animal sacrifice. We're the regents of the earth. Never forget it. They can only do certain things on this planet that we allow them to do. This is where idolatry comes into place and sacrifice. So are we giving them something that they need? Remember, I don't know if you saw the movie Harry Potter, um, but in the first Harry Potter movie, remember what it was about? It was about the this Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. And that it was, and who wanted that philosopher's stone? Voldemort. Why did he want it? Because he was forced to live on this terrible, uh, in this terrible way. He had to drink the blood of a unicorn to survive. Mm -hmm. And I know that's just a movie, but it's it's an interesting concept. 
Where do we get this idea of vampires? I think we get it from the apostate sons of mm. God. Mm. Vampires, remember the mythos of vampires. They live very, very long centuries, right? Vampires live for centuries. And what do they have to do in order to live? Drink blood. Drink the blood. And so is it possible? Yes, it is possible that the, fall, the, the apostate sons of God are banished from the tree of life and are in the same boat as we are, except they have a much higher nature, one, and number two, they have technology. They have life-extending technology. Um, and they got some GMOs, and, right? But, they got some genetically modified trees. <laughs> and so they're they're dying. They're never the, nevertheless they are dying, in my opinion, but very, 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 very slowly. And this <laughs> this answers a lot of questions if you think about it. I mean, and I know people are going to have problems with this stuff. People always have problems when their paradigms are shattered, but it's okay. Just make it bigger. Yeah. Just 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 rebuild it like a muscle. You know, let your paradigm be broken up to pieces and rebuild it stronger. Because this is galactic, and this is much bigger and much more tangible, much more physical, much more real than any of us even. Well, realize. it's coming on our doorstep. It's 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 there every day, more and more. Yeah, this stuff's where people love, are filming it. Yeah, I, lo- I yeah. love this though. We're just breaking a mental sweat here, doing some doing some some mental bench pressing here. Yeah, Tim, this is great, man. I um, I would love to. We're gonna continue this conversation, right? We'll pick up with with the you know, the Noah and then, and then get into the Rephaim and what, and what we think. Yeah. And the corruption of the earth and the Rephaim yep. and, and the, the uh, Oh, and, and we didn't talk about the kind of stuff you guys were alluding to the monsters. Cause you had giants and monsters the, the, according the, the to the Chimera, giants. Right. Yeah. And those, that's a different conversation now. See the people, people sometimes confuse those two things, but those are two different things happening at the same time for different reasons, yeah. in my opinion, by different means. Mm. Um, and but 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 it's the watchers perpetuating it. It's uh, um, uh, perpetrating it, I should say. Uh, so that's all different conversation. I mean, that's an extension of this conversation and the corruption of the earth, the flood. You know. So let's just say this was part one of a part two yep. series of a two part series because that's that's only a conversation and ex- again an extension of this conversation. Yeah. And then also, uh, it, it, and then also the connections of Genesis six, the the of the to the end of the age, hmm. to the things that are going to occur at the end of the age, because I believe, and I'll just give you, and I'll just give you this before we go. I believe that the, the antichrist, the man of sin is going to be the hybrid son of the dragon who copulates with a human woman to produce a hybrid son who has authority, just like the offspring of the watchers to govern the earth. And, and for those who dispute this, remember what the Bible says about the antichrist. He was permitted to rule, yeah, for a short time. Permitted, yeah, by who? By God. Why was he permitted? Because he had the authority to do it. He had to bear the image too, right? And remember that deed of the earth that we talked about that was given to Adam. It's lost in the end of the age, just like it's lost. And we'll we'll finish this thought next time. Just like it's lost before the flood. Mankind loses dominion of the earth before Christ returns. But guess what? The son of man comes to regain it. And that is the end of the book and uh, the end of the Bible and also the end of my book. And so that we can tie that into the next conversation as well. 
And I don't mean to drag you guys through all these conversations <laughs> with me, but these are broad topics and, uh, you know, and they take time to, un to unpack. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Luke, like started with Nephilim being the top Google search, but I believe in Bigfoot and Jesus. I don't know where that ranks. Maybe a little bit lower. I believe in I, I believe in Bigfoot as well, and that's a whole other conversation. Bigfoot, which which we so, have alluded to. What is the origin of Bigfoot? I have a and I've I've already said it, so it's not like some secret. I believe Bigfoot is a in, is indigenous to the earth. I don't believe that Bigfoot is a Nephilim. I think he's he's indi indigenous to the earth. And there we go, Nate. We have we've actually officially done a show backwards. Yeah, because because our guest brought up our first question at the end on his own. Yeah. <laughs> Tim's been here though. He's been this is this is the fifth time around. This is this is our Look, By the way, before we go, let me say and I know you guys are probably going to you you guys are probably going to say this anyway, but I mentioned on your show, I believe last time I was on, that I was contemplating <laughs> doing an Amazon cruise. Oh, yeah. And I got a lot of emails from from people in your audience who were interested Let's in going, go. which I have since replied to. The cruise is on. And it's it's happening from the first through the fifth of February. A um, lot of interesting people going. Some some famous people are going, and um, and I'm doing a conference. And uh, it's me and Gary Haven, my partner Gary Haven, who's a, an amazing guy. He's got a lot to say. A lot of he, he he's very very well versed on contemporary things happening. Yeah. And so Gary and I are going to be talking, we're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff and it's going to be, you know, there's only going to be 30 to 40 people. I'm chartering the whole boat. It's only going to be 30 to 40 people. And we're going to be having open discussions uh, in this conference, just all of us sitting together discussing things and I'm going to be presenting things that then we'll be, you know, kicking it around. And it's again, from the first through the fifth of February. Now, let me say right up front, I know that everybody has concerns about COVID uh, vaccinations, vaccine mandates. I'm not getting vaccinated under any circumstance. And I understand the concerns, but I was able to work out, and this is why I decided to do it. I was able to work out with this cruise company. They're called Delphine Amazon Cruises. By the way, the cruise is happening in the Peruvian Amazon and the Pacaya Samiria National Reserve. Absolutely gorgeous Amazon Reserve. Um, lots of animals. You know, it's really, really awesome. Um, the cruise is happening in the Pacaya Samiria National Reserve, and I have worked out with the cruise company a exclusive deal for my group, and that deal is that if the if uh, Peru, if the government of Peru requires proof of vaccination for entry into the country, or the airlines require vaccination to fly or Peru goes into lockdown, then the trip is automatically canceled and everybody gets a full refund. Sweet. Yeah. So I've taken that concern out of the equation. Yeah. If, if there is a vaccine mandate, nobody has to worry about it. Trip is automatically canceled. Everybody gets a awesome. refund. So um, I've taken that equation. Uh, I've taken that out of the equation. And, and it's, it, it's, this company has really worked with me in, 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 in just such an accommodating way. The cruise is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be a blast. 
there's aside from the conference and these kinds of conversations that we're having right now, we're going to, I'm going to be having these kind of conversations, you know, sitting on the deck of this boat, smoking a cigar, watching the jungle go by. And it's going to be awesome. Um, you guys, every, anybody who wants to go, believe me, you're going to love Gary Haven. He's the most interesting man. One of the best people I've ever met in my life. Gary's just amazing. He's a mentor of mine. He's amazing. Mm. And, um, and there's also other guests who are coming who I know who are very, very entertaining and um, well-versed in things. And so um, there's going to be a host, besides the conference, there's going to be a host of off-board activities, uh, off-board excursions, jungle walks, night jungle safaris, canopy walks, piranha fishing, kayaking in the jungle down the, the tributaries, uh, going out and looking for animals. Um, it's going to be a blast. Awesome. Tim, where, where do they go? Look, where can they go and get the information? And, and uh, You can go to my website, timothyalbrino.com. You'll see a cruise link in the, in the, in the menu. And also you'll see it on the front page there. Um, you'll see a, um, you know, a banner. Um, you can, all the information is there. All the information is there. You know, there's some, there's some, there all your, all your COVID concerns are answered. I have a whole section there answering all of the COVID questions, the refunds and all that kind of stuff. All the questions are answered. So um, I want to let your audience know, you know, I was supposed to be on with you guys, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago and I, I ended up getting sick for, I've been sick twice in the last six weeks. Okay. So I've been out of the game. Um, but since that, since, since I, since I told you guys that I was thinking about it, you know, whenever that was, I announced it in August at the beginning of August and it's over halfway filled. It's all, it's over halfway full at this point. Yeah. So if you want to go, man, you got to jump on it. And so there's an email address on my website. You're going to contact an individual, Diana from Delphine Cruises. Nobody books with me. Any questions you have, don't direct them to me, direct them to her. You'll see the email on the website there. Direct the emails to her. She will answer all of your questions and you do the booking with her. And by the way, this is a five-star cruise. It's a luxury class cruise. It is, there's nobody else on this boat except for me and my group. It only houses 30 to 40 people. It only accommodates 30, 40 people. There's only, you know, there's 22 suites and uh, really, really nice. Everything is top-notch. It's, it's gourmet food, luxury accommodations. Um, and uh, so it's really nice. And you're going to see the prices. It is steep. The prices are steep. I did not alter the prices. Those are the rack prices. Those are the prices that the Delphine Cruise Company charges. So I'm throwing the cruise, I'm throwing the conference in for free. So you're just paying the regular cruise price that the company charges, and I'm giving you the conference for free. So if you want to go, it's just going to be us on the boat. Uh, it's going to be in the middle of the Amazon. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. I can't wait to go. I'm going to be hanging out with, we're just going to be sitting around doing what we did here on this podcast, yeah. but in the Amazon and also in between going out and fishing and hiking and kayaking and everything. So um, there are some COVID stipulations, you know, PCR test. So if you don't want to do the PCR test, I personally don't have any problem with it. I don't believe the conspiracy theories regarding the PCR test. Um, I've got, I've had them done a handful of times. Uh, I don't really care about them, but those are requirements that the airlines have. You cannot fly international without uh, doing a PCR test right now. So uh, if, if the COVID situation, if, if they, if there's a vaccine mandate, either by the airlines or by Peru, by the government trip is canceled, there's no loss. Everybody gets their money cool. back. 
Um, so all the information is on the website. Go over to timothyalbrino.com. Go over to the cruise link in the menu or on the banner, and all of the information is there. You got any questions? Email Diana. You want if you want to go, jump on it, get on it because it's going to fill up this month. Even you know what? I'm going to tell you something. This trip would have filled up within the first three days if it weren't for people still being nervous about COVID. Yeah. So, and I get people ner- being nervous about COVID. I get that. Uh, I understand that. Most of us have already had COVID, so we're already inoculated. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's just, I'm not going to just, I'm, I'm, I decided to go for it because why? why yeah, yeah. So, so if you listen to this podcast, go buy four tickets, one for you and your wife, and then one for, put Nate Henry in the other section <laughs> and Luke Rogers in the other. And here we go. I'm sure our wives will love that. Yeah, Nate Nate and I are going to be Amazon. Look, there's 22 rooms on the boat. Me and my guest, me and Gary are taking up two of the rooms. So that leaves 20 rooms and about 11 of them are gone. So so get on it, guys. Uh, Get on it. And uh, listen, you won't regret it. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast because just the Amazon itself, the boat, the experience, the food in and of itself is worth it. But then add in a bunch of guys like us. Doing this yeah. every night, yeah. you know, uh, and and the ability to sit in a little conference environment and, you know, I'll present some things that things that I haven't talked about yet, by the way. Some things I have, some things I haven't. Um, and to be able to just kick it around the room and everybody gets to opine and we all kind of think about things together and Gary and all these other interesting people going. So it's a trip of and a lifetime. And Marzulli comes out of the closet. Surprise, I'm here. L.A. Marzulli was going on the trip. He was the first. He was actually <laughs> LA, was, LA was was going to be the in the conference, um, but for personal reasons he had to That's pull fine. out. So at the scheduling and stuff, he couldn't do it. But he was he was he was in yeah, for a while. Yeah. Okay, so, we gotta, so LA gave a stamp of approval. So this is an LA Marzulli approved trip as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, if anybody's never gone to Machu Picchu and stuff, you can extend the trip and go ahead and go go do that because you're going to be in Peru and you know. Um, but uh, I might even I might even go do it myself. So there might be a group of us, but that's a separate deal. Um, but the but, but the the cruise itself from the first through the fifth of February, 2022, and uh, jump on it because uh, it, it's uh, after this month there won't be any. Now you can get on a waiting list. So if if you contact Diana and she tells you well there's no more room. Still put your name on the waiting list because people I've done trips like this before. People always drop out. And so whoever's on the waiting list, whoever's next in line is bumped in to that position. Awesome. So um, get on well, it. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate Tim. it, man. Yeah, thanks. we love you. We love you, Tim. You are the uh, you are now officially the the most the most tenured guest on Blurry Creatures, the most downloaded guest well, my on, on Blurry Creatures. And we love to have you, brother. It's uh, it's been yeah. a pleasure as always. Yeah. Thank you guys yeah. for having me. And, uh, you know, if you want to want to oh, do we, part two of this conversation, I'm, I'm yep. we'll, we'll do it. We'll, 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 we're going to shoot you. We'll get you scheduled for. I want, I want to get part two uh, soon and, because I want to schedule this and I want to hear the rest of this. So, Well, sure. Just let me know. And, and also, by the way, people, I'm doing a birthright lecture series on my uh, on my YouTube channel. So you go to my YouTube channel and uh, I've got I did four. I'm going to be doing the fifth this week. And I'm probably going to end up with like 15 okay. of them. So uh, those are lecture series, video lecture series. I also have a podcast, which is just the audio version of my lecture series, um, the Albrino Analysis, wherever podcasts, wherever, whatever podcast platform. And then also I'm on Instagram. Now, so. Yeah, you are. 
Uh, I figured I should be on Tim, one of these platforms. Tim's on the gram. Look out. Tim's being wild. <laughs> I don't do, I mean, uh, you know, like I have my wife post most things, but, uh, um, but you know, if you want to track me and also sign up for my mailing list. Uh, yeah. That's the best way to track with me. Go sign up for my mailing list if you haven't already, already, and you'll be notified right away anything I'm doing. So, guys, it's always a pleasure. I really enjoy talking to you guys. Um, and I uh, really appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's really nice you guys to give me this much time. So, uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Thanks, Tim. So. Thanks for coming on last minute, too, and being available. And yeah. Well, we'll, ping, we'll, we'll Absolutely. ping you for the follow up here very soon. Yeah. All Absolutely. Right. Let's All do right, it. Bud. See you, buddy. Thanks, Good night, bro. guys.